Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. And uh, this is actually a, uh, a part like, anybody, what are you getting out of this message, especially right now in Romans 8? What do you, anybody want to say any response? Yeah, Scott. You just got to say it real loud. Yes. Spirit of adoptions. Romans 8 has just been a, now you guys know how I feel about Romans anyway, and that I, I love teaching through this stuff, but Romans 8 has been uh, in these weeks of studying and always reading ahead and then always going back to where I started. It's one of the most incredible chapters. There is so much in this chapter. It's just absolutely incredible. The range, um, are you ever stunned by the writers? The, the range of that which Paul took. Now, we always attribute it to God, but you've got to remember, he's working through a guy. And the range that he took it through from coming out of, you know, starting with there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then it's, it's almost like he gets excited about being in Christ and start, which he does. He starts explaining all the, all the things that go with that and get affected by it. And it's affecting me. And um, I just, my biggest prayer for myself and for us as a church is that out of this, we find safety and security in who our God is. Of all the things that I think that, are, that terrorize people in the 21st century, because they're not the same things that were terrorizing them in the 1st century A.D., uh, that in all those things that we would find a place of deep, deep security in who our God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes over and over and over again about this, and it's a, it's a language that uh, we're not totally familiar with today, but he talks about assurance of faith. He talks about having an assurance inside of you uh, as a believer, and he, he wrote his exposition and about assurance of faith uh, during the 1960s, so he, he's come out of the, you know, being in England, he's, he's survived World War II, and they've watched the rebuilding of things and then the Cold War starting. And I love it that he went to this issue of having the safety and security of who God is in our midst. And he unpacks that and unfolds it. So if there's anything I want us to get, it's that, that uh, we get an assurance inside of our hearts um, I'm going to talk about a very pleasant subject this morning because that's where Paul takes this, and that's suffering. Okay, let's all join together now in a big smile for suffering. Um, it's a little, a little hard to do, but I want to put it in context. So first, we're going to we're going to read this again, so that so that we get the get our heads and our hearts wrapped around. Uh, what he's saying. Oh, by the way, I got two little announcements. Parents, you're going to have to help me with this one. Kids snacks. I give the kids a snack after they come to me and they say, can I go to your office and get a snack? 
and that's been wonderful, and I love doing it, and I'm a spoiler. I'm a grandpa that likes to spoil. But like kids will do, even in your home, in our home, they'll take advantage of that. So they're like grabbing eight, nine, ten of these little packs of the fruity snacks. Please encourage your kids, one, you know, if they come and ask me for a second one, I won't deny them, but uh, I'm not here to fill them up with uh, very gummy things uh, before you go to lunch. And the fact that they're opening them and leaving the trash all over the floor. Now, Danny has really helped me with this a lot, but I need you as parents to help me with it. And yes, they can come ask me, and I actually enjoy it because then I get to interact with them a little bit. So it's not a, we're going to get rid of the snacks. It's please help me regulate it as good parents will. And then the other thing is the coffee bar. We switched it over, if you saw this morning, to a Keurig machine. That's a, that's a help yourself to it. I will sh- usually have a pretty good variety out there. If you need water, you go in the kitchen and it actually there should be a, a little pitcher of water there that you can refill it. And please feel free to go have a cup or two cups or whatever whatever you want or need. Again, with kids, don't I don't want the kids going in there doing it unsupervised and without permission because I know kids and a coffee today. So I was one of those children, I grew up with coffee. I, my parents started giving me half milk, half coffee when I was four years old. So it really stunted my growth. And, uh, and so I understand that kids like coffee today, but I want them to not do it without your permission and without, it can't be without your supervision. They're going to go in there and use the Keurig. I don't want a big mess that we have to clean up. And if you make a mess, clean your mess up. So there's a sponge back there. There's disinfectant wipes. Uh, there's uh, a bar mop uh, back there, a cloth that you can clean stuff up with. Don't make coffee in the bigger thing right now. We're going to switch over to this machine. It's just easier for us to do one cup at a time. So anyway, feel free to go in. And the coffee's still there if you were going, where'd they get the coffee? It's in, it's in that little side room. You can just go in there and make it, and that way we don't have to do a setup and tear down. We can just leave it there. So, is that good? So, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit living in you, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. 
Okay, Paul's just come out of this incredible thing about revealing that our relationship to God is his father, the spirit of adoption. And then he goes immediately into, because he's provided a a sense of safety and security for people who are under severe persecution. And it's through our relationship with God. And so he's harnessed that thing, and then he immediately takes it to something that is so deeply difficult to understand, and that's suffering. Uh, This promise of God is relating to us um, as our Father in this life turns to, I think, one of the most perplexing things for believers on the earth. And that's this uncomfortable issue of suffering. And then when we face it today in modernity, as, as sociologists would call it, and especially, I think, in the, in the church, in Christianity, within the message of the abundance of life that's come to us. So if you, if you look at the passage of church history, we went through 40s and 50s, there was uh, this sense of the idea of, of uh, God as a miracle-working God of healing, and there was, uh, there was real outpouring on healing ministry, especially in Canada, but in the United States, and it greatly affected the whole church, even the non a charismatic wing of the church. And you had the charismatic movement, which leaned very heavily into the idea of how God moves among his people and the, the very power and presence of the Holy Spirit right into the life. And, and, of course, Americans gravitated towards us because we have abundance. The idea of abundant life and what that meant. Now, my view of abundant life is much different than than probably what was promoted with that Um, but when it comes to suffering the American church western Christianity doesn't know what to do with this we don't know what to do with it it plagues us Uh, it's like getting uh, a bug bite it's like getting do you guys know what chiggers are living in the midwest it's like getting chiggers and every and there's lots of uh, there's lots of false things about chigger bites and what they are and that they lay eggs under your skin and they do it actually it's just a bite by a mi- microscopic little bug that bites you in leaves and it's extremely infectious and it can itch up to two weeks. They do not legs under you know lay eggs under your skin. You don't have to paint them with fingernail polish. That does absolutely nothing. <laughs> Uh, you can spray anti-itch and anti-sting stuff on it, and that helps temporarily. It's a bite. That's all that. But, you see, we don't know what to do with that because there's got to be more than that because that thing's driving me nuts. And chiggers have absolutely no dignity. <laughs> they bite you in the worst places on your body. Actually, they, were, they used to be referred to as a harvest mite because when they would go out and gather the stuff in out of the fields because they like to be in tall grass, that's where they would get them. So they are a little mite, and they are mighty in their bite. This is something much more than a chigger bite that Paul's referring to. So I, you have to, in order to understand 
and to look at the issues of what Paul's addressing have to trigger you and get you back into who he's writing to and what he's writing about. First century church, Rome, the times of the Caesars. As this church began, it's coming out of the reign of Caligula. Have you ever read anything about Caligula or heard about it on TV or watched one of the History Channel things? You know, he was... He was evil personified. I mean, he was, hor- he was horrendous. He was perverted. He was probably mentally ill with the things that he did. He was sadistic. We have all kinds of words to, you know, and the kids aren't here with us today, so we can get very real. He, he was horrible, horrible. You know, he, he, his life was filled with incest and violence Everything that you can think of as horror, that was Caligula. When he gets done, then Claudius comes in, and Claudius is trying to get the blame off of the rule of the royal house. And so he looks to start blaming somebody. So they blame Jews. All this stuff is bad that's happening in Rome is because of the Jews. And, oh, there's this new sect coming up that combines Jews and Christians and they're following this Christ thing and calling him a God. Don't they know they're supposed to worship me? And persecution is abounding and persecution isn't light. Persecution is they steal your kids and make candles out of them to line the streets. Get in the picture? Our our idea of suffering today is how come I'm afflicted with this bug bite? Their affliction is, now remember what he's just written to them. Christ is in you. The Father has adopted you with the spirit of adoption. And now he's talking about suffering. He has to address something that's just, it's horrendous. It's horrendous what this first century church is going through. And they have to meet in fear because, and they get noticed right away. One, if they're, if they're Jews, they're wearing a skull cap and they got the hair cut differently. So everybody knows they're a Jew. Two, if they don't have a, a system of either worshiping Caesar in your home or one of the other lesser gods in your home, it's noticed by everybody. They didn't have doors and windows the way we have them today. They didn't pull the blinds. Windows was a hole in the wall of the side of your building. And people could just look inside your home. They can tell what you're doing, who you worship, and why. So they're in a constant state. And they can't get together. It's really hard for them. How do we compare what we suffer today with what they were suffering? You don't. Stop trying to. We will never know what they went through except in a little bit of a historical context. I don't know what that was like. Neither do you. I do know what my own suffering is like today. And... uh, I'm an awfulizer, so if I have an ingrown toenail, my toe is killing me. Um, Or, uh, 
I got a 401, well, it's called a 403 because we're a not-for-profit. I've got a 401, and boy, it's really suffered the last few weeks with this coronavirus thing. That's really suffering, isn't it? Uh, I'm making jest of it, but the idea of, and then nevertheless, though, when you go and you do have suffering, There's some things that happen with us that I think actually happened with the first century church too and that we can really learn from this because suffering is real. When somebody in your family gets afflicted with something or you do, that's real suffering. When you lose financially everything, that's real suffering. Um, When everything breaks down and seems to be going to That's suffering. It is. It's a form of suffering. Um, But I want you to see something here that Paul's trying to get through to us. The how versus the why. Whenever we suffer, we go into why. There has to be a cause for this. Now, I'm going to step on all of our charismatic toes this morning, okay? So if I offend you, um, I could say get over it, which would really be snarky. And so I won't. But here's the thing I will uh, say to you. Please be nice in return to me. I won't be ugly with this, but I'm going to step on all of our toes. When we begin to suffer, we look for cause, Something has to be the cause in this. And now, in, in, especially in the charismatic wing of the church, what we've normally done is either the enemy is attacking us all the time. We, we have been taught, this is our traditions. We have to face it. This is, I'm agreeing with it. This is me. When things aren't going right for me, then the enemy is attacking me. He's going after me. When my kid is bringing home D's, then the enemy's out attacking my, you know, making my kid stupid. Come on, we do this, you guys. Because we want to find, because we don't understand the why, we have to find the cause and effect. So then if I decide, no, it's not a spiritual attack, then it's something I'm not doing or something that I am doing that has created this. Therefore, now the Lord's disciplining. He's using this because I've got to have discipline in my life. And now God's disciplining me. Ouch. So much so that I've actually had people in my... This is in my past. I would tell you, so I'm bearing my suffering as a pastor. I've had people who left church that I was leading to go be with another church because God was sending them there because he was disciplining them. I'm going, you think? Really? I wasn't enough discipline for you, huh? Uh, And you go... He's sending you to a church so that you're under his discipline? But here's the thing. Now, we can poke at that, but the reason I'm poking at it is, see, you and I do this. God's allowed this to come into my life because, come on, we go there. Why do we go there? It's human nature. 
That's why Paul addresses this thing. It's human nature. There must be something wrong, otherwise I would be being blessed. And I wouldn't have this suffering that I'm going through right now. It's us. That's why I said I'm going to step on all of our toes. You know, it's... And so we start searching. And then we make a commitment within us, well, I'm going to read more, pray more. And we set up these series of spiritual goalposts that we're going to push the ball over the line to reach. And then this time will lift off of us and we'll be more glorified. Or, now here's the biggie. This is why I said I'm going to step on people's toes. Or it gets wrapped up in our eschatology. And God is preparing me for what he's going to do next, which is, boy, it's all winding down. And as soon as these things line up historically, then these things are going to line up, and then we're really going to get it. Or we're going to escape it. Lloyd, that's too close to home. I know. Paul doesn't go any of those places with this. He talks about how we suffer, not why. There's a reason for that. Is because in this life you're going to suffer. And he explains it in the how. It's, it's a much... How is a much more operative position than why? You're going to have suffering in this life. Why? Because you're a part of this earth, and the earth hasn't been fully redeemed, and that's what he's saying in this passage. As a matter of fact, he says that creation is waiting for this corruption to be done with and is actually looking to you and I to be revealed, not just the Lord, Not just the Lord returning, but that when he returns, you're going to be revealed. You will be completely redeemed. You will be revealed in the glory that is actually already your portion. In a fullness, in a full way. So what's really important Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't go into any of those three things that we go to? Out of talking about this, he does not go to the end-time teachings. Matter of fact, Paul didn't give any end-time teachings, except that there's those who are asleep, and they're going to wake up, and we're all going to get caught up together in the Lord. I love that. I love what he taught that, how he taught it. But he doesn't go into it here other than saying, Creation is going to be redeemed, and it's waiting for it. Matter of fact, he uses the most incredible oxymoron I've ever seen. Eagerly wait. You ever thought about that? Eagerly, which is the exact opposite of patience, I'm going to eagerly wait. Eager is such a wonderful word. Eager. You know, I'm eager on Christmas morning. I am not patient, and I'm not waiting, especially if I'm 12, and I'm going to get a Red Ryder BB gun. (sighs) 
I, I, did, I did this wonderful thing to my kids since I got so few of you here this morning since we can just talk like family. So what we used to do on Christmas mornings, we still do with my now adult kids, is I had this thing. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's sort of Irish wonderful. It has a backhand to it. So before they could open any of their gifts, we had to take communion together and pray. <laughs> So to get to receive the real gift, and it has wonderful goodness in it. But if I was 10, I can just see, Hunter, tell me, you abused us. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you, know? you made me wait. And we had to pray for all those missionaries. <laughs> you know, some people did away with their Christmas tree. You're lucky. Many of my charismatic friends thought that was idol worship so they wouldn't allow a Christmas tree anymore (sighs) we do this don't we so anyway they had to suffer eagerly waiting I don't know if I have ever eagerly waited for something in my entire life it's just that's just so strange and he talks about it three times in here what he's expressing to us is how we go through the things that we suffer in this life And the way we suffer really matters for us and our hearts. And that's why he talks about it. So you can do this. Now think about this. I'm still stepping on toes, okay? So, and I'm like, I'm pretty weighty. So I'm I'm sorry if it hits really hard. Um, But uh, some of us suffer in bitterness and anger. Hardens our hearts when we're suffering, when we're going through really traumatic stuff in life. And what that does is it limits our growth and our understanding and moves us away from influence and joy. You ever been around somebody who's suffering in anger? Um, Yeah? Uh, It's hard to be around people. Whenever we have that, When we're mad about what we're going through and we can't come to the the reason why, you can't figure out whether it's the devil or God and what he's supposed to get. So you're just sort of of seething inside of you. It affects your health, your relationships, and your own heart. It is not fun waking up angry. Anybody like me? Uh, that thing that happened yesterday, and I prayed, and I gave it to the Lord, and I woke up the next morning, and I was still mad. And then it just affects your heart all day. You're kind of out of sorts. It's like a virus. And it, it, it just, it, uh, um, you can see it with somebody when it's been a long time, and they've suffered a long time. And uh, you can tell the two different kinds of people. There's people that have suffered with stuff that I have no me. I can't even grasp what they've gone through in life. And what they went through, and they're the most beautiful, smiley face, lovely. They're like a flower, uh, you know. And I'm not Esther. You're like that. You're like a rose. You just bring such a fragrance into this place. And I know you've suffered. And there's that sense of that. And then there's the other one, you know, and their mouth is turned down 
in this lifelong grimace. And you just go, ooh. You go a lot of miles in that face, and they're mad. And you just, you don't even say hi to those people. Because you just know, you just like back. That's no way to suffer. All that does is increase the suffering. Then there's this. I'm well known for this. Suffering in silence. Don't make it known, because that makes it worse. Causes us to, are you an internalizer? I always joke with Carrie Rowan, you know, because she knows this about me. I'm the awfulizer. You know, if something's bad, then these seven things are going to get added to it. You know, uh... Causes us to internalize and brace ourselves till we become hardened and compassionless. Does something inside of it. Causes us to compare what I'm suffering with what other good things people are getting. Again, I'm picking on my Irish friends again, but you know, it's, it's this. Um, it's, it's, it becomes a view of life. So somebody gets a really nice home that you know and you know that they couldn't afford it, so you say, I wonder what they did to get that. It's, it's that kind of, I didn't get it. It's the comparison suffering, and, and it just leads us down such an ugly path to doorstep to bitterness in life, isn't it? Uh, God doesn't actually want you, you know, don't tell anybody. We do. So I'm stepping on toes again. Don't tell anybody so God will secretly reward you and bring you through this. What? That's from the book of illusions. Where did you get that? He never asked us to suffer in silence and alone. Don't tell anybody. That way it'll only last a short time. We do these we do these machinations inside of our head. What did we think community was for? We're supposed to share in each other's suffering so that we can reach out in compassion. In both those ways in which we suffer, we're looking for the wise and we'll come up with equations. And you guys know by now how I feel about the equations in life. I am just done living my spiritual life that way. There is another suffering. You have it right now. And it comes out in a lot of different ways. It came out in this first century church. And that we are suffering in Christ. And in that suffering, we suffer because we are believers. We suffer with being believers because sin is still around. We suffer as believers because the non-believing world, yes, they don't like us. We've got it pretty good in America They don't like us. They get on TV and rant about us. Or they write a blog about us today. Or they post a Facebook posting. Or if they think we're a false teacher, you know, you're hyper grace. 
okay, guilty. Uh, those kind of things. And it, it, but there is a suffering with it in Christ. And that's knit in with what Paul is saying here. Part of being a believer is part of suffering with and in Christ. And it's part of suffering with creation. Because it's waiting for the time of full redemption when the Lord will return. Won't you and I both be delighted when sin is finally done with? It's finally over. Not just sin, but there will... I mean, think about when, when God does create the new heavens and the new earth. Whatever that means and whatever your eschatology, when that's something, sin won't have any place there. Or death. Or tears. We cry so much with suffering. One of the first things that we see, this is what I love about Revelation, one of the first things that happens is it says this, and he will wipe away all their tears. I don't really know if there's such a thing as tears of joy, because I don't think we would have those if there weren't tears of suffering. But I think, you know, is it going to be party central? I don't know, but it's going to be joy central. Because that stuff is done away with. No more death, no more pain, no more suffering. Oh, glorious. There's something that happens if we can embrace suffering and go and remind ourselves, I'm suffering because I'm in Christ. And what it does is it produces in us an ability to trust. And Paul says to hope. So here's here's the promise that Paul gives in this passage in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit helps you. He helps you and enables you to endure. He helps and his help causes you to trust. He helps because he secures your hope. Hope has to be found in something. Hope's a funny word. Hope stings. When you've had your hope dashed seven or eight times for somebody to say, well, you have to keep hoping in God. That stings. Ow. Hope's like a a shot. But the other thing is, is that hope stings in a way that you go, it's like hearing somebody far off and they whisper what an incredible person you are. And you go, what? what? Who said that? Hope puts this thing inside of your heart. It might sting at first when you say, uh, and then especially when somebody uses Christianity and says, hope in God. <sighs> and yet hope's this attractive thing. Because when hope rises in my heart, I believe for something better. I believe for something better, for something wonderful. So hope actually leads you into something. And it's this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, hope will lead you to security and safety in God. And that's all he ever wanted. 
It leads you into a place of, I trust you, God. I don't understand all this. Tell him. Don't suffer in silence, but don't blame him. Those seven towers fell on those people because God's put them under judgment. Really? It seems to me Jesus heard his disciples say that and say, you guys don't know what spirit you're talking from. You don't know God. God doesn't deal that way. Natural events, this coronavirus is because God hated the Chinese and he's, really? Really? Stop it. Stop, there's suffering here on this earth. Man, there'll be a day there won't be one virus ever, corona or any kind. But until then, your job is not to declare the judgments of God. Your job is to go, God, I trust you. I'm going to pray for those people that they would be delivered and helped. God likes showing his redemption. Whenever there's problems, pray for redemption. That's how we suffer together. Does this make sense? And that's what Paul's writing here. How do you know that? We're going to close with this. With these next two passages, and there's one, listen, it's always taken out of context, but it's like the no condemnation thing. It's almost a trump card that we get to carry. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So don't try and utter them, like in a prayer meeting. Don't do that. Because it says it cannot be uttered. And we try and make it uttered, and then we attribute that to the Holy Spirit's praying through me. No, he's not. That's you. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know what Paul exactly was trying to get across, but it wasn't a display. It was something inside the human soul that the Holy Spirit is going and is grabbing you and holding him in your arms in Christ and going, I know, kid. I know. I know this hurts. I know. 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 It's between you and God. It's very private. When you get a bad diagnosis and inside of you, he grabs you and holds you in his arms and goes, I know, kiddo. I'm with you. I won't ever leave you. I won't ever forsake you. That's what I think of when I read this scripture. Why? Because now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There is one who knows the complete will of God, and that's the Spirit that lives in you. You think he's not going to pray it for you? all of a sudden I can start feeling safety and security. Um, I've been so fortunate. I don't know any, I don't know if there, there may be somebody in this room. I cannot imagine burying a child. I've had the ugly suffering of burying parents and siblings. And man, it's so hard. Your heart just breaks. It's so hard. I can't imagine for people, and maybe that's you, and I'm sorry to even talk about it. Can't imagine burying your child. The pain and grief that comes in. 
to a parent's heart. That's got to be such hurt. And so when I think of suffering and the Lord, the Holy Spirit inside me, with he's, he's taking Jesus, hey, there's something in the will of God here that I'm going to have to hold you really tight over. I'm just going to have to get my arms around you because you're going to want to thresh and blame and find the cause, and it's not going to work, and I'm going to hold you, kiddo. I'm just going to hold you. I really like that about God. I really like that, that Paul explains this in how we suffer, that God won't ever let you do it alone because he knows God's will. He will not abandon you, and he, will de- he has determined that he will bring you into a reality of what it means to suffer. There's something in the will of God, be- and I think, it's be- I think it's the joy that's set before us, and in the glorification, that not only are we one with him, but we're going to understand what he did. And he didn't just take your suffering, he took all suffering into himself. And there's something that we're supposed to, uh, I'll only use this word, we're supposed to kiss. I can't think of a more intimate term. We, we kiss the Lord in that, in that we have suffered also. Does that make sense? We, we, we've enjoyed in doing That's why Paul said, I fill up. Those sufferings, there's something that we're supposed to and we get to partake of so that we can understand this. I love that. I did did never see this because I've used this verse so many times to help people get over it and help myself get over it, and I don't think that's what it's there for. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the, the called according to his purpose. Don't you love that verse? It uh, really helps me with all with the stuff I've suffered. I'm acquainted with it, so are you. I don't know all the things you suffered. You don't know because I'm actually very private and I would rather suffer alone. <laughs> I don't often claim it. You have no idea. Uh, but it's tied to something. We always use this as a standalone verse. Look at this. Let let this penetrate in you, because it's talking about you and me. For whom he foreknew, that means before the foundations of the world, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. That's you. Whom he called, these he also justified. That's you. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. If you have any, if you've suffered anything, you're glorified. What? What produced something of Christ in you? It's it's a... If you will, it's a reflection of your glory. And it's not the kind of glory we pray for or sing about. It's the glory of my relationship of being in Christ. 
and that he would stand and call me his brother, take you by the hand, says, this, this is my dear sister. She's worthy to stand be, with me. She suffered with me. Now she's standing with me. And I have no shame over our relationship. What? Lord, you took all the suffering. Yes, but you shared in my suffering. What? Therefore, you share in my glory of who I am. Me and you, you and me. That's how we suffer. Not in silence, not in anger, not in cause and effect, but in the fact that we're in Christ. In all of creation, every time we suffer, I believe this, there are cardinals in my backyard that are chirping about my glory. And their chirping is the waiting for me to understand it and to be, have it revealed in me. There's the butterflies that Brenda always nurtures by putting out milkweed. And when they're around, they're going, hi, 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 hi. Because I look at their beauty and think they're incredible. They're looking at my beauty and they're seeing God's glory. They're waiting. This phenomenal? Well, it's not phenomenal. It's still about suffering. <laughs> well, yeah. But God wants to do something in that. I can't... Um, I can't ease your suffering. I can't. I don't know how. God can. He can ease it. Mental anguish, whatever the suffering is. Mental anguish, loss, ick, pain. Pain's one of the worst kinds of suffering. <sighs> What's it working in you? Paul said an exceeding weight of glory. Sometimes it's easier to not picture your own suffering. But right now as we close, I want you to picture somebody you love a whole lot that you know suffering. Somebody from the past. Yeah. My, my, my dear mom, you know, and I, I've been without her since I was in my mid-twenties. And there's, it's her suffering that I actually remember. She, she suffered with ailments. She wasn't healthy. Uh, she had phlebitis really bad, varicose veins. And then she'd say it in German, which always embarrassed me. She'd sit on the couch. She'd go, oh, young, my vein, my vein. She'd cry. And I'd go, oh. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know what to do. And her legs hurt so bad. You know, and then I'd go, and she didn't have a driver's license, and then she'd walk to the people's houses that she had to stand on her feet all day, clean their houses, you know, to bring home a dollar and a quarter, you know. Uh, I think of her suffering, I go, and this is what I heard when she, the morning that she died, 
and all the other siblings went out of the room. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, quoted Isaiah. He said, therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Come with singing unto Zion. Everlasting joy shall be upon it. Man, he couldn't have comforted me with a better scripture ever. Because it set inside of me the security of knowing, yes, you talked to her all night last night about she was redeemed. Therefore, the Lord of the, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Is she what we all hope for in our glory? She found her home in Christ. Your home is in Christ. Your suffering is in Christ. And your glory in Christ. Lord, I pray for our hearts. Lord, that we would learn to suffer in this hope. That this hope would be a, a diamond that we can carry around in our pocket. This precious gem that we hang on to all the time. That we're in Christ. That we're in the Spirit. And this secret gem that I have. That I don't have to look for cause and effect. I don't have to blame somebody for what I'm going through. I can put my hand and my heart around this hope and say today, I trust you, God. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And in that, I hope in your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless us and keep us. Lord, make his face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up his countenance upon us. Give us peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.